It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Rockets. I'm Karthik Prasad, and I'm filling in for our everyday host, Ben DuBose. Y'all may know me on Twitter as at StanfordKP. Today we're going to talk about key takeaways from Russell Westbrook's introductory press conference at Toyota Center yesterday afternoon. Russ has finally touched down in Houston. We'll touch on the comments there, some of the post-press conference nuggets that may shed light on the Rockets' offseason strategy, and lastly, we'll close with a few more thoughts on how James and Russ can work together. I want to start this first segment by recapping the press conference yesterday afternoon, which is closed to the public and featured just Daryl Morey and Russell Westbrook. The first thing that stuck out to me was the vibe. It was low-key, all business, all basketball, and in many ways that was refreshing. We've come a long way from the the huge public affair of Dwight Howard's press conference, and then in subsequent years, Chris Paul's press conference two years ago, um, and then this offseason, all the noise and the drama about you know the supposed tension that was and then ultimately wasn't there between James and Chris um, the, the trades and the attempts to woo Jimmy Butler, it was nice to just focus on and talk about basketball. Daryl thanked Chris Paul, Russ thanked the Thunder, and then the focus quickly shifted to how is this going to work and the Houston Rockets as they are constructed for this year. And it was a little weird, let's be honest. It was a big change for everyone involved, but it was clear that they all knew why it had taken place. This is all about a reunion between James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and it was worth pushing the chips all in from both sides and seeing where things landed. About 30 seconds into the press conference, Russ quickly mentioned sacrifice. He talked about how he didn't need the ball to make a great impact on this team, and he knew right away a few ways that he could do so and help the guys win. I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, it, it was very clear that he and James had talked about how they could make this work and they, um, Russ harkened back to their days in Oklahoma City where James would, would close as the lead guy on the ball and Russ would play off ball, um, cutting, passing, slashing, etc. And I think that was just a good, let's get that out of the way type of discussion that says, hey, we know that this is going to require sacrifice for two previously ball-dominant players. And for the Rockets, you know, this is, this is the third time we've had this. A third time, the third attempt to bring a, a co-star around James. First we had Dwight. And ultimately, the styles didn't mesh. And then with Chris, you know, we had two of the best years ever in Rockets franchise history. And now we turn the page to Russ. And I thought it was just a a very interesting dynamic that played out. I mean, it's clear that they know that there's a bit of urgency, that James is in the middle of his prime. Russ is still in his prime. And these are two MVPs who are joining forces in a big way. And we'll see how it works. Russ, in his usual way, was also had had zero you-know-what's 
to give about other newly formed duos across the league, including his buddy Paul George teaming up with Kawhi Leonard. And unlike the fanfare of that press conference, Russ you know, was pretty outright in saying, nah, this is just about the Houston Rockets, and let's, let's talk about the guys that are here and how he's going to come in and help. And I thought that was just a good direction on his part to just be more low-key and be more focused on basketball. And, you know, in reading some of the comments from the Thunder media after after the conference, I mean, everyone's kind of noticed how at ease and how calm Russ was. It was, it was clear that um, this was a new opportunity. Yes, it was a big change, but it, but it was change and something that he had looked forward to and thought about a lot. There wasn't much detail into how this all came together, except that James was, quote, ready to pounce and was super persistent with Russ um, in getting him to make the jump from Oklahoma City. But I think if you start to sift through some of the other details, maybe this was talked about as a possibility earlier in the season, early in the offseason, I should say, than most realize. You know, a few few reports surfaced after the trade about how Russ had had conversations early in the offseason with the Thunder front office about potential directions of the franchise, including, you know, trade as an option for him. And then also that James had broached the subject of reuniting with Russ early in the summer as well. And and I find that kind of odd. But then if you think about how quickly Paul George up and left from Oklahoma City, how supportive Westbrook was, and you say, you start to think about, hey, maybe maybe this was more in motion. Maybe this was uh, the, the seeds uh, were planted earlier than we think. Um, James was in attendance, of course. He was sitting in the front row. He was listening attentively. Um, and afterward, you know, the, he and Russ um, had various posts on Instagram, and you could tell that James was positively giddy. He was very evident that he was extremely happy that Russ was here, maybe the happiest we'd ever seen him in, on such an occasion. Um, and the level of respect, the brotherhood, the trust that these two have, I mean, it just jumps off the screen. I mean, and I'm, I'm hoping that that'll, that'll be the main thing, that the bedrock that these two will build on. And who knows, maybe we'll get uh, James Harden to adopt the Karate Kid uh, get up now that uh, Russ and Daniel House have also sported it. So all in all, just a lot of new vibes um, heading into the rocket season, and and you know I thought it was just a good way to get that started. You know, be low key, not that much fanfare. It's all about basketball. It's all about the championship. We're pushing our chips all in. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome back to the show. This is Karthik Prasad, and I'm filling in from Ben DuBose, who's on a well-earned vacation. Our second segment here, we'll touch on a few comments and tweets and other things shared after the press conference about the Rockets offseason, the luxury tax implication, and where the team is currently and where they might head in the future. I'll start with a closing line at the end of the press conference from Daryl Morey, who said that, as usual, the Rockets are not done, that they view themselves as potentially another piece away. And that the likely avenue to get that piece or improve the team will be via trade. And what I thought was even more interesting was how he explicitly mentioned the possibility of a trade before the season. Which would mean that maybe, as we've discussed on this show and others, that the non-guaranteed salaries on the roster, a potential sign-in trade of Amon Shumpert, are chips that the, the Rockets still want to actively explore and potentially use. 
Now, after the conference, Dave Hardesty from Clutch Fans had a series of tweets that shed light on some of the conversations that he had internally about the Rockets' offseason, namely that Andre Iguodala was still on their radar and that outside a trade for an impact player, the team would try and stay at or under the luxury tax. So let's break those two down because I know they got this got a lot of reactions yesterday and you know it's, it's worth digging into the details. So Iguodala, as we've discussed before, has been on our radar since the deal to send him to Memphis um, so that the Warriors could land D'Angelo Russell and assign a trade for Kevin Durant. However, yesterday it appears that maybe there's a, a Hossid situation unfolding in Memphis with the asking price for Iguodala being astronomical. And we've, we've read that potentially a first-round pick and other things involved. But, you know, I mean, this is posturing season, and Memphis really has no reason to move him right now or lower their asking price, especially with fewer players being able to be traded um, right now. And if you think about the Clippers and Mo Harkless and other things, there, there's timing implications for why, you know, Memphis might be holding steady. And Iguodala himself tweeted that he was by himself right after, which maybe that was unrelated, but it certainly added fuel to the fire. So, it was good to hear that Iguodala's name had cropped back up, um, and, and Clutch fans and D- Dave had basically mentioned that the Rockets would go into the tax. They would make that deal if they could add a player like Iguodala, someone who added length defensively, championship experience, etc. Um, and so let's, let's talk about the luxury tax. I mean, that's been a hotly debated topic on Rockets Twitter these past few weeks, and for, for good reason. Um, the Rockets tried, and they and they ultimately didn't succeed in, in adding more salary to the Westbrook CP3 trade, which, you know, Ben and I talked about, you know, that during that week that it was almost a prime day of sorts, a, a way to take on a wing or add a player at, at a salary discount in terms of what you had to send out in order to get that player. Um, but it just didn't materialize, and, and, and um, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. It takes two to tango. And now if you think about kind of the context in many of the comments that, asking if the Rockets are really willing to pay the tax unless it's another star player, we've got to take a step back and look at the big picture here. I think this is the right strategy for the Rockets as it stands today in July before the season. They have no reason to close off any avenues for their for their current or future seasons. And and if, if there's an option that materializes, that materially improves the team, they should do it. You don't just get salary and add it with the hope and prayer that you will eventually turn it into, into an impact player. No, you, you play the waiting game. You evaluate all the talent, all the landscape across the league. I mean, heck, last year, a year ago today, we had Ryan Anderson, right? And we were all talking about how are we going to make that um, flip him into a, a positive player. And ultimately, there's a cascade of moves um, in order to get, get us down in, to the luxury tax. But the point being that these things can change. It's a fluid situation. More trade, more players become available. Buyouts become more possible. And the Rockets now have several avenues to improve the team. They can, yes, sign and trade Amon Shumpert. And maybe that gets less and less likely as time goes on, but it's still possible as of today. They have a host of non-guaranteed salaries that they can use in fillers. And a player like Deontay Davis, for example, becomes able to be aggregated in trades in two weeks. Um, and then, of course, if buyouts were an option or another free agent were to were to catch the Rockets' eye, I mean, they still have their full non-tax mid-level exception um, that they can use. And yes, I mean, I, we, we get the skepticism of why these things haven't and probably won't happen, uh, and the Rockets will try and stay near the luxury tax line, especially now 
because they have an extra year of a super max deal in, on Russ's contract than they did with CP3. Um, but I think it's I think it's worth letting things play out here. And I, and and now if you s- circle back with what Daryl said of yes, they're actually still trying to trade for a player before the season. Um, maybe there's something that that's in the works that is just you know waiting on other things to unfold. And so. You know, I'll close this segment by saying that the Rockets are in a better position than they were last season, right? They return all of their major rotation players. They've added a new star in Westbrook who already has chemistry with James, who who understands the personnel on this roster and who has worked with and played under Mike D'Antoni before. And, and this organization and fan base knows that we need one more forward on the roster who has length on the defensive end and can either shoot or play make offensively everyone knows that and so it's just a matter of hey let's 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 trust the process here and then see if we can find a way to add that piece soon the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the show. This is Karthik Prasad and I'm filling in for Ben DeVos. So far on the show, we've recapped the Westbrook Westbrook Conference. We've highlighted the down-to-business vibe that the press conference had. We've touched on the comments during and after the uh, after about the Rockets offseason. And now let's talk about and close the show with a few thoughts on Harden and Westbrook's fit together. The hope is to build on, on, on a few comments Russ had yesterday about how he's very willing to play off ball and that he's been comfortable making an impact on the team that way. He called out a few areas where he thinks he can help on offense. Being able to catch and shoot, yes, but also being able to attack the paint, driving and kicking and finding shooters all around. That is something that he was excited about and was reported as to a reason why he was excited to potentially come to Houston with James. The other area where I think he mentioned and people get excited about is Russ leading the team in transition. Being able to rebound at a high rate, immediately push the ball, is a dimension that the Rockets actually sorely missed last year. We, we were slower in pace. We too often settled into a methodical, isolation-heavy basketball style. And now, you know, Westbrook brings a quick-hitting dimension into the equation and provides a secondary attack that's different um, than what James Harden tries to do. And so, you know, I like that. And I think that there is an, there is a, an upfront recognition that maybe they can bring different types of things together on the basketball floor when they share it when they share it together you know russ also joked that maybe he'll even find a way uh to get james some easy alley-oops if if james still has the uh the ups but um who knows but judging by you know how james has been crossing up kids and dunking on them this past week at his basketball camps um maybe he'll be just fine but yeah i mean and then the other thing that that was talked about yesterday was how 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 russ has already talked to mike d'antoni uh, this offseason briefly and the, and the, the USA basketball connection and the respect he has for Mike D'Antoni. And one of the ways that I see that there's, you know, there's an opportunity for, for, for Westbrook to immediately find his footing is on those side isolation plays where they kind of clear out um, one side of the, of the court, namely the right side usually. 
um, and, and have that player have a straight line attack to the basket. You know, we've seen this with Eric Gordon. We've seen this with Austin Rivers. Um, and even dating back to, to, his, to Mike's Phoenix years with Leandro Barbosa, he knows how to, to put players who have that speed and athleticism and get them easy straight line drives to the basket. And that's something that, you know, Russ is very comfortable doing. And I think, you know, it will provide him some, some clear uh, definition in his role, especially offensively early on as, you know, in terms of ways he can uh, make an impact while he, while he and James are on the floor. And so that was something that I thought was uh, was pretty interesting yesterday, um, you know, in terms of how they can build on each other. And Daryl, you know, also called out that the the energy and the relentless attack that Russ brings is something that maybe we haven't had. Um, even Eric Gordon on the radio called that out. That that extra bounce, that extra juice of always coming at the opponent. And if you think about the second unit now with the Rockets, potentially with Russ leading them. Um, You'll have Eric Gordon in those units. You'll have Daniel House, Gerald Green, of course, Austin Rivers, and Russell Westbrook. And and if and depending on how the Rockets build out the rest of their forward and center rotation, um, they should be able to get out and transition. And that's something that even individually Russ is his own transition force. But I think now that that can be a staple of how how the Rockets um, attack other teams, let alone other uh, second units. And I think it's it's interesting to really think about how James too can, can start to, to succeed off the ball. He's one of the best catch and shoot players, just a pure shooter in general, but his ability and his, and the, it's, it's more about his desire and his energy to play off ball. I mean, too often, you know, last year it was all about his gravity and bringing players well beyond the three point line so that, you know, the rest of the defense could the rest of the offense could go four on four versus the defense. But um, that was almost settling. Right. And we saw that the limits of that uh, in, the, in the playoffs. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what type of quick hitting plays they get. Um, one of the favorites I think they might bring back from the uh, the Oklahoma City game, or the, the, their Oklahoma City days, I should say, is um, some of their quick hitting uh, out of bounds plays in which either Russ or James would inbound and then quickly backdoor cut um, and, and receive the ball and, you know, and dunk. And so I think there's ways that they can kind of bring back some of their old chemistry. And that's what they used to do together is cuts and alley-oops and, and things like that. And so um, that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how they can unleash James Harden off the ball. But the fact that Russ has, has started the conversation with, Hey, I want to make an impact off the ball is, is encouraging. Um, and it's just a matter of, of of building that muscle repeatedly in the off uh, in the offensive system, and not just settling for ISOs. Now, and if you look at some of the data on how how Russ has done offensively, and, and people always call out the the inefficiency, but there are a few areas that he's good. You know, he's a, he's a pretty solid catch and shoot three point shooter, um, especially from the left side and potentially the left corner. He really hasn't taken that many um, catch-and-shoot open corner three-pointers in Oklahoma City, which is you know, almost a, a reason in of itself to say, hey, maybe there's a blank slate here in what Re- uh, Westbrook can do with, with James Harden um, when, when one or the other has, has the ball. And so that's one, that's one. And then the second is you know, Russ in the pick-and-roll, the spread pick-and-roll um, with four or five shooters around him has been a pretty good recipe. Not only is he able to pretty consistently at a high volume efficiently find those players for good assists, well, so be it at the rim or for at three pointers, but he's also a pretty good shooter right off the dribble coming off the pick. And so that's actually where his mid range and his three point game actually take a step up right off that first dribble after a pick, that pull up jumper. And so 
maybe they can kind of work with him to to optimize when he shoots when he passes and I think it's just a few tweaks to really figure that out and so yesterday I thought was a good starting point for that conversation that journey that they'll be they'll be on Um, but but between the transition attack between some of the ways and that Russ can attack the paint and attack the rim and then of course being him being able to find shooters there's a really good foundation for him to make an impact and for James to kind of be able to do what he does and then start to work in some of that off-ball attack that we've been wanting from him for so long. And then lastly, we'll just talk about the defensive side. I mean, Russ is actually a pretty good team defender. Now, a lot of that is is due to the fact that he crashes the boards and, and rebounds at a high rate. Um, he's great in the passing lanes. And the main thing that he'll have to bring to the Rockets next season is really around his on-ball defense and being engaged because when he is engaged and focused he's actually really really good and we we Rockets fans have seen him be a pest to James Harden especially late in games getting in his airspace contesting deflecting the ball etc and so the ability is there I think it's going to be a matter of now do you do we believe that the shared offensive load perhaps fewer minutes um, more off-ball responsibility will help him and James kind of conserve more effort and energy for the defensive end. That's the hope. That's the upside. And that's what they talked about yesterday in being able to switch and attack, not just offensively, um, but defensively as well. Yesterday was, a, in some ways, a weird beginning, but a good one. You know, the vibe was was right, and it was all built on the trust and respect and energy uh, and brotherhood that, that exists and will continue to build and get stronger between Russell Westbrook and James Harden and it gave Rockets fans I mean maybe I'm just speaking for myself just a a lot of reasons to be optimistic this is one of the best dudes in the NBA in terms of contributing to his community wanting to to be a part of something be loyal to his team and his teammates he comes hungry ready to win as a as a former MVP and he's joining a guy in James Harden that we all desperately want to take that next step um, and so a lot's on the line, but yesterday was, a, was I thought, a great start. And if the Rockets can can navigate the, the luxury tax waters, can they land that final piece um, in terms of the front court help that they, they want, then um, who knows? Maybe the sky's the limit. And so that's our show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, and again, this is Karthik Prasad, and I'm filling in for Ben DeBose. I would encourage everyone to to subscribe if you haven't already to Locked On Rockets podcast or find the podcast on Twitter at, at Locked On Rockets. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Stanford KP. Uh, ben will be back next week and we'll resume his uh, normal podcast cadence. And I'm sure there'll be more and more to talk about as the off season unfolds. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.